This week's podcast is sponsored by Pono Home. Pono Home can make your home healthier while saving you money with a personalized in-home assessment that can immediately help reduce your utility bills, remove toxins from your home, and make you and your family more comfortable. Check them out at PonoHome.com. That's P-O-N-O-H-O-M-E.com. Kyle, Matthew, and I are here again for another week of Clean Tech Talk. Uh, we're talking this week about Kyle's Tesla Model S CPO purchase, which is a very exciting story. We're also talking about Chrysler finally launching its plug-in hybrid electric minivan and about a big transmission story that Matthew pulled up. Kyle, I know this is going to be hard. <laughs> How do you put this, the highlights of this story into a nutshell? Yeah, so I ended up basically locking in and buying a certified pre-owned Tesla Model S from Ohio, and I live in California, so that presents a, a pretty significant geographical challenge there. It's like 2,300 miles away. And yeah, I, I don't know if it's a combination of stupidity and adventure, but it worked out. So I guess in a nutshell, it was a good deal. It did look like an adventure waiting to happen. It's kind of lining up the dots in my head. My brother and his family are out in Colorado, which is a pretty good distance from Ohio, but it's kind of on the way <laughs> on a road trip. And kind of building the next leg of the trip was uh, the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas. And all of that just kind of happened to line up during the holidays. So I had the the time off work and just kind of made sense. So ended up kind of pushing forward with the deal and buying a car from Ohio and uh, flying out there on a one-way ticket, buying the car and then driving it back. So it was it was a really neat setup. I ended up actually working with Tesla to get VIP valet service down to the airport in a Model S. So the Santa Barbara Tesla team came down to my house, picked me up, took me to the airport and dropped me off because they had actually taken my Leaf as a trade-in. And then the same thing in Columbus. I had actually worked with them to uh, to pick me up at the airport, take me to the service center or dealership. I'm not sure what we're calling those now. They kind of have a hybrid model right now, depending on how you define dealership. But they picked me up, brought me to the uh, location of the car, and we signed the final paperwork. And yeah, like 9.30 at night, I end up driving out of the Tesla shop there with the new-to-me certified and pre-owned Model S. So it was it was a crazy adventure and a really neat way to experience the Tesla buying process. I don't think that's uh, something many people are going to go out there and repeat. But it's a, kind of a neat function of how their model is set up with kind of the, the nationwide certified pre-owned network. And it was it was a great great experience overall with Tesla, and yeah, I know I know the three of us have been looking at uh, certified pre-owns. Matthew, uh, have you considered anything as crazy as that? Or we so we're we're about to move in the next uh, six months or so, and so we'll definitely have a uh, have a charging location where we'll be able to plug in at home. Yay! Given uh, my wife and I being sort of financially conservative, it might have to be a, a Tesla Model 3 CPO, but definitely do want to take advantage of the different price points that uh, that are offered. That that 3 CPO joke instantly comes off the Tesla Motors Club forum. I, I forget who it was, but full credit and full kudos to those people. One of the awesome things about the certified pre-owned vehicle and I guess uh, used vehicles in general is that they open up the electric vehicles to different price points. I know there has been a lot of lamentation or irritation that the uh, the Nissan Leaf, for example, has had uh, apparently a fairly high depreciation rate. And, you know, that is a bit unfortunate. But at the same time, that opens up a huge market of you know, fairly budget-conscious consumers who can then 
you know, start to drive electric. And certainly as they move up the chain, it is likelier than not that they'll stay with an electric propulsion system, which can only be good for us. So it's, it's, I, I just see this as a, as a win-win overall in terms of being able to expand the market. Zachary, what's your take? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think the depreciation, while it hurts initial buyers, you know, th- these are early adopters, they got to be prepared for that. So, you know, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, I think it helps the market overall. I mean, these are really, really attractive deals now. You can get really low-priced leaves. The Model S's, of course, don't are not depreciating as fast as some of us would like. <laughs> but but, uh, but still, I mean, it offers. I mean, it offers the, the opportunity to get a, a used Tesla for about the price of a of a new BMW i3 or um, Mercedes B-Class electric. And I mean, uh, the Tesla just has so, so many more advantages. You know, I think this is really, like you said, a really exciting time because of these these being on the market. And we're trying to highlight this option because a lot of people just, we, we normally write about new cars, new car prices, and a lot of people don't realize the prices of the used electric. So we've been trying to highlight that in the past couple of months. And, you know, Kyle's new series is part of that. And it's interesting, Kyle was talking about how, you know, people he knows in real life, uh, humans he touches, you know, uh, that they were really shocked at the price that he could, he got a, got a Tesla. He could talk more about that. So we, we've been trying to highlight that. I did a post yesterday or the day before about seven, you know, seven Tesla CPOs being under under $49,000 right at the moment. I think four of them sold soon after, which is not surprising at all. But uh, it's, it's really exciting, and it's it's making a lot of people question: Should I get a CPO Model S or should I wait for the Model Three? I mean, it's uh, it's it's not that much more of a leap. But I would come back to the dealership thing too, Kyle. You wrote about that a bit, so you can expound on it. But it's just such a refreshing experience to go into into the Tesla store and have such you know no pressure, but helpful and and accessible. Uh, support from the Tesla staff going to a, a dealership. Kyle, you, you, maybe you could pull up that line you had. It was so good. It just, it's, it sucks. I mean, it's like you go and you know, these people are just trying to get your money. They're not, they're like, this really fake friendly normally. It's even the nice ones. I mean, they're nice, but you know, it's just, uh, it feels different. It feels like, you know, and, and you know that once you get down to doing the paperwork, they're going to be squeezing stuff out of you without, you know, giving you much time to think about it or, or figure out what you're doing. So, you know, that part of the experience to me and, and Kyle detailed that at length is just, it's one of those huge competitive advantages for Tesla. They just said like, look, we can do this much better. Let's do it much better. Kyle, you can talk, talk more about that. Yeah. When you go into a typical dealership, like I actually coming out of the Los Angeles auto show, I got a, one of those coupons, like, Hey, come in and drive a Lincoln and we'll give you like a gift card or something. And for me, I was like, well, I want to go check out their hybrids anyway. So I charged in there and without naming the specific dealership, I mean, it was, it was a, not the most positive experience. It was just the opposite of everything I had experienced with Tesla. And you walk right up. And before I was even out of the car, he's like, Hey, what are you here to drive? And it was just like right in your face, like trying to sell. And then we started talking the cars and he didn't know anything about the cars. And that to me is like one of the biggest, well, it's not one of the biggest advantages of Tesla, but it's one of the most important parts of the experience because I want to know what the car is going to cost me. I want to know what kind of a deal I can get. I want to know what options it has and how you the, the salesperson is going to help me to pick the right car for me, not just make a sale. And that's what I loved about Tesla. I mean, flipping the coin over, I would 
I've tried out a couple different Tesla um, dealerships. Um, the first experience was actually kind of the, the valet test drive service where um, Michael from the Santa Barbara Service Center actually brought the car to our house. He pulled up in the driveway with a Tesla. We all got in the car, um, drove around for kind of as long as we wanted, really. It was ended up being like 30 or 40 minutes with all the questions and everything. But um, we talked for another 30 minutes out in the driveway, and it was just a, it was a great experience. And that... I didn't even know about that. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen mention of a valet test drive. No, that think. was months ago. But, but really... I mean, that, that, that option at all. I yeah. didn't realize they did valet test drives like that. Yeah, it was it was really neat, really neat uh, experience. And that just depth of knowledge and attentive customer service just carried through into the, the dealership. We've got a Tesla dealership up in Santa Barbara. It's really in a more traditional kind of auto mall area right across the street from BMW and Porsche and uh, went up there and it was the same thing. I mean, you go in there and they're offering you coffee and answering all the questions. The kids are climbing all over the cars and these are $130,000 cars. They're climbing all over the P90D, jumping in the frunk, pretending they're driving and no comments or anything. I mean, they're just like, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want, make yourself at home. And so for me, I'm sitting there browsing through the technical nits and bits of the, the car, pulling up all the the covers and, and getting into the fun details for me and the kids are having their good time. My wife's doing her thing, kind of wandered around and yeah, it's just, it was a completely different experience. Very positive. Yeah. Just a, a great experience. The, the people seem like they want to be there. I mentioned that in the article, but it's a big deal. And uh, Tesla has really, really changed the game. And I think the more people that they can get into those service centers or sales centers to, to experience that and, and really understand what Tesla is about fundamentally at the corporate culture level, just the better off they're going to do. So it's just one more piece of uh, the advantage that Tesla has and uh, the new game that they've really built. So it's pretty exciting. Up, up here in Canada, we have one very, very successful electric vehicle dealership. It's a, um, it's a Chevy dealership in Quebec, and they are actually responsible for about one in six uh, volt sales in Canada. They actually have buyers all across the provinces basically trying to find used volts to bring on to their dealership because they try and keep 30 to 40 vehicles in stock at all times. And maybe riffing a little bit on what you're saying, Kyle, they have all of their salespeople. It's not, not a commission sales organization for one. And they have all the, all the, um, all the staff are trained uh, on how to sell the Volt and other electric vehicles. Uh, and most of them actually use Volts as their personal vehicles as well. And basically what they were saying is that it took, it took them about uh, three to four times as long to sell an electric vehicle. So you can see why most dealerships would kind of try and avoid stocking them, so on and so forth. But they've basically had, uh, had so much success that it isn't hard to see that this is completely their focus. Uh, they have people calling from all across Canada to get their insights and so on and so forth. And again, this is a, in a small commuting town, maybe about 10,000 people, about 40 miles north of Montreal. And, you know, they don't want to say they're in the middle of nowhere, but they are in the middle of nowhere. And they're just selling the gangbusters numbers of uh, volts. They even had 30 pre-orders for the Chevrolet Bolt with a B, EV, which, which shows how much momentum you can get with a proper kind of a dealership experience uh, for electric vehicles. So it's... Um, it's delightful that uh, that Tesla has uh, has been able to change the game here, and you just so wish that there would be some other dealerships who see the advantages or see the uh, the upside 
that there can be in providing a fundamentally better transportation platform for their customers if they can just get over that one hurdle of, okay, it takes a little bit more time to sell, but you know, we'll win so much customer loyalty and, and so forth. Yeah, I mean... I think that gets down to it with Tesla too. I mean, Tesla, the, the great thing about when you go into Tesla, uh, other than the no pressure, you know, approach is that the people just love the cars. They're there because they love Teslas. They, lo- they love the, the vehicles. They know a lot about them. They're enthusiastic about them. They can tell you all about them. Uh, you go into a normal dealership and I mean, the people there are mostly just there because it's a job, <laughs> you know, it's a way for them to make money. They, maybe they're a gearhead sometimes, but they, you know, for the most part, they don't have that enthusiasm and knowledge about the cars. And of course, they have a challenge of selling a, a wide variety of different vehicles. Uh, so they're not going to know a lot about every single one of them. But uh, I mean, even like the Nissan dealership where we lease a Nissan that we went in, you know, there was a there was a one leaf specialist and nobody else would really talk to us at all <laughs> because, oh, you have to wait for for this guy. He's on lunch. He's the leaf specialist. And it happened, I mean, several times. Then we talked to him and he's like, he knows about them, but he's not enthusiastic about it. He's like, uh, so it's, again, it just, you know, he's there doing his job. Uh, so I, I think this demonstration of how this dealership in, in Quebec, Quebec uh, got their employees excited about them really shows a great example of how you can do it outside of Tesla. It's just mm-hmm. how do you make that happen is the question. But it's a, it's a big challenge. And, um, you know, I test drove a bunch of cars when I was in Florida. And the best experience I had outside of Tesla was uh, with Porsche. And the, the Porsche guy who, who helped me with the Porsche uh, Panamera SE hybrid, a plug-in hybrid, he had a racing background. His background was racing. And so he knew a lot about the technology. And he was, a, he was really a big fan of plug-ins because of his racing background. So it, it had that kind of, again, he knew a lot about the car because he was passionate about the technology. Whereas in most cases, as people say, when you go into, I mean, the dealership, they have, the, the salespeople have basically first get you on the lot, second, get you to the desk so they can do the paperwork, financing paperwork with you. I mean, it's, that's basically their thing. Get you into the dealership and then get you to their desk. So this, their, their goal is not really, you know, to share a lot of information with you. It's just to make a sale. And that's, that's unfortunate. But let's jump over to one of these automakers, uh, Chrysler. After a lot of rumors, Chrysler has 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 announced it's going to produce a plug-in hybrid electric minivan. So, um, Matthew, why don't you start us off on that one? Sure. Well, at the uh, North American International Auto Show, uh, Chrysler did announce that it would be the first automaker to to make a plug-in hybrid minivan, which is just good news. One one really hopes that it will be available outside of California and related Zev states kind of worried that uh, Sergio Marchione, uh really not a fan of electric vehicles. So, you know, one has hopes, but one, one fears the worst. I guess for me, the biggest upside uh, is that this adds another category where there's a plug-in option. Back when GM overtook Ford uh, for auto sales back in the 20s, uh, their then CEO, uh, Alfred Sloan, had this little expression, you know, a car for every person purpose. They want to have something for everybody. And Having a minivan as a plug-in vehicle really helps us towards this uh, this world where there's a plug-in for every person purpose. You know, we've got compacts with a smart uh, EV. You have sedans, you know, Volt and Leaf, crossover SUV uh, with the, the Mitsubishi Outlander has had a, a lot of uh, success in its plug-in hybrid version. And you have the, the luxury, which is dominated by Tesla, but BMW has some uh, has decent offerings, Porsche as well. 
One day Mercedes, it looks like, uh, might have a few more offerings. Having a minivan is great. It, it is perhaps 3% of the North American market, but you, know, you don't want to ignore anything like that. And I dream of the day when Ford offers a plug-in version of the F-150, which is North America's by far head and shoulders above the rest of you know, top-selling vehicle, because I'm sure there would be contractors uh, aplenty who could leverage that battery in many ways for their on-the-job site functions. Kyle, though uh, you uh, you were the one who uh, wrote this up, uh, you probably have some further insights you'd want to share. Yeah, thanks. As far as the minivan goes, I think it's a it's one of those cars that you, you, as your family starts growing, if you're going that direction with life, it becomes a pretty compelling car. I mean, minivans are packed with features. They have screens in the back. They've got, you know, separate uh, climate controls for the front and the back, tons of storage. Some friends of ours have, you know, loaded the back up with bikes and it's kind of been their mobile playhouse, really. I mean, they go anywhere they want. They've got all the stuff they need just packed in there. And, and they really are like a house on wheels for a lot of, a lot of families, a lot of growing young families. And so, thinking about that market um, in the comments we talked a little bit about how uh, there's like the waiting line for all the parents that are doing the drop-offs at, at school and it's another one of those situations where you're not in traffic you're not driving tons of miles but you're just sitting there and the car is idling and thinking about this plug-in minivan sitting in that line it's got 30 miles of all electric range and so that's enough I mean easily to get to school and back run errands, um, even for a normal commute built into that. So my wife and I kind of go that route where we'll drop the kids off, go to school, come back, maybe get some groceries and come home. So it's easily within the 30 mile of all electric range there. And I think uh, the, the majority of folks will find that that meets their, their daily needs just on electric alone. And so I think the, uh, the core of the car is solid. I, I like that it's got that 30 miles of range. It's not just a token, you know, we'll give you the the battery so that you can get the HOV sticker, which actually that plug-in hybrid electric sticker in California just expired. So it's no longer as much of an incentive there. But overall, when you look at those miles, uh, they estimate 80 MPGE, which is one of those metrics we kind of love to hate. Um, I think the big metric for the car is the 30 miles of all electric and you try to maximize that as much as possible. And then if you do kick over to the gas engine, obviously that drops pretty significantly. So it's a uh, it's a really exciting entry into the market and it, it comes with a lot of advanced features in addition to just the minivan and the plug-in hybrid components. It's got like parking assist, adaptive cruise control, forward collision warning, lane departure warning, and, and things like that that really start building the bridge towards autonomous driving. So I think it's a really exciting entry. Um, this is one of those, another market similar to SUVs that just typically gets terrible, terrible mileage. And uh, I'm really excited to see this come into market. And I think it'd be neat to, to see, like Matthew said, what markets this comes to, if it gets wide distribution and uh, how we can maximize that. But looking forward to seeing where this goes. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, we've had a lot of people requesting, you know, let's get those plug-in plug-in minivan or truck and when we when we did this uh these big surveys over 2000 surveyed over 2000 owners and and potential owners one of the questions we asked about was which class of vehicles they were interest most interested in buying a plug-in for and really the results i mean it was really small numbers that wanted the the pickup truck, interestingly, mm. despite despite a lot of vocal preference for it and it leading the U.S. market. Uh, and I think the minivan is similar. And uh, 
I, you know, it, it could be just because of self-selection bias and who's already EV enthusiasts. Maybe once these are out there, then then they'll bring in more a broader audience that's interested in these. Uh, so I'm really curious to see what happens with this and with a plug-in pickup if we when we finally get one. Um, but I'm also not expecting it to be a big a big seller, of course. But uh, but it is really interesting the Fiat Chrysler and Sergio Mar- Marchioni thing. Uh, I mean, this guy has. No doubt about it. He's the, he's had the most um, negative comments about EVs of any of any top auto auto executive. Yeah. He's he said a lot of negative things about them. And uh, one really interesting thing, Kyle passed along uh, a Q and A with Carlos Gone from Nissan Renault uh, this week. And uh, one of the one of the questions someone was asking about was reference comments Sergio had just made uh, in a, I guess another Q and A where he basically said that um, EVs are a threat to their business model. I mean, their disruptive tech- technology is essentially what he said, that are a threat to their whole their whole business because they're, they have basically for decades been outsourcing various components of the car and their competitive advantage is the engines, the, the ICE um, drivetrain. So if you're going to switch to EVs, you basically lose all of that, you know, sunk, sunk investment, all of that competitive advantage, uh, so, so he. I mean, I think it's a. It was a really honest statement for someone in that position to say why he's. I mean, one one key reason why he's so negative about EVs. Uh, and when you look at it, Chrysler, Mercedes, BMW, Ford, they're they're rolling out these plug-in hybrids, which yes, they appeal to certain customers. They might be even more popular with certain customers at this stage. Uh, that's debatable. But what they really do is they, they they allow the automakers to maintain their their you know their focus on the ICE engine, even if it's a supplement to the electric motor. So I, I think it's interesting just to see how difficult it's going to be for these automakers to to really accept the electric future. Carlos had had really interesting response to that, and I'm, I'm about to write up an article on it. But I think it's something we, we should come back to, and I think maybe next week would be a, a good time for that. But but moving on, let's um, let's jump over to the to the to the last story, Matthew. This is all yours. Take us away. All right. So uh, recently, there were some further approvals given for a large one gigawatt high voltage DC or HV DC transmission line connecting Hydro Quebec or Quebec rather with its hydroelectricity to Vermont and the uh, the New England grid, the uh, ISO NE as it's uh, sometimes called. And I thought this was uh, just something very very exciting because basically Quebec. Canada in general has this great opportunity to serve as a as a kind of a legacy infrastructure energy storage battery for the states. You know, we have a lot of we have a lot of a hydro, and we don't have that many people, and so we have this great opportunity to use the hydro to buffer and to um, to complement the variable power production that happens with renewables. In in this case, uh, Hydro Quebec exports about 30 terawatt hours per year, not all of it to the States, but that works out to about three gigawatts on a 24-7 basis. And uh, in terms of uh, adding to the to the ISO New England grid, that would allow them to provide up to 
up to about uh, t 10 terawatt hours additional. That's about 10,000 gigawatt hours. And by comparison, the uh, the New England grid, for example, it's about 100,000 gigawatt hours per year, 100 terawatt hours. About 40% of that is natural gas. And so you could see that in terms of bringing on new renewables and being able to supplement them, complement them with the hydroelectricity, you can take a big chunk out of that gas. You can make a lot of it uneconomic and unnecessary to combust. So it is a big, exciting story and uh, perhaps uh, brings us back to some of the clean tech part of clean tech talks. We are a bit of an EV podcast in disguise, as it were. Kyle, there, there have been a lot of big developments in California, especially in terms of moving towards renewables with the various initiatives the state has had. Do you have any um, thoughts on that or uh, reflections as, as a resident of the state? I, I was looking into this, and the more I started digging in, the more I realized there was a major component of, the, of New England, really the Northeast out there, that's really focused on renewables. So Vermont is kind of the counterpart to California, but out on, out on the East Coast. Um, obviously, they're not on the coast, but... They're a little smaller, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't quite have the footprint we do. But they are super, super focused on moving to renewables. So they actually shut down the Vermont Yankee nuclear plant at the end of 2014. Uh, they have no coal plants in the state, and um, they're really pushing towards aggressive renewables growth out there. And, and a key component of that, Matthew, as you mentioned, is the the hydro from Quebec and, and just pushing that down. Uh, I think this, this transition line isn't specifically for Vermont. Uh, they are actually importing a lot of uh, Canadian power already uh, through an agreement that actually started back in 84 and was renewed in 2010. But it's actually for farther south, so Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and uh, kind of the expanded greater northeast area out there. And that's where you start getting into some of those big winds with the hydro from, from Canada directly offsetting the, the natural gas production that's used down there. I mean, Rhode Island is using natural gas for 95% of their electricity generation. And so this is it's a big opportunity for us to really pull down that hydro. And as you mentioned, Matthew, there's a, there's a key storage component of that as well that um, it, it's going to fill a big gap and I think offset a lot of of good um, electricity that's currently fueled with fossil fuels. So I'm really excited by it. And I think even beyond that, as we we grow and our electricity needs shift, that storage plays a bigger role with um, EVs coming online. And that, that's going to massively increase our electricity demand, which will be offset to some extent by uh, efficiency savings. But I think there's going to be a component there that just having that extra capacity and the flexibility in, in the regional grid there is going to be... Uh, extremely helpful in the coming years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think every time we write about 100% renewables or 70% renewables or some related story, uh, a discussion ensues on Clean Technica among readers uh, about whether, you know, uh, we focus on improving and, and expanding transmission infrastructure or, or focus on energy storage. And I mean, it's just going to come down to uh, different factors in different markets. Costs, of course, you know, which, which is going to provide more uh, bang for the buck, uh, which is going to be more effective in this region versus this region, uh, etc. I mean, there's a lot of variation in, in regions uh, as far as how electricity is produced and what can help integrate more renewables. But I mean, basically, it, it's both. You know, we need both of them, and it's really great to see. You know, these stories. We we cover the storage stories. Storage has been really hot and popular. Transmissions doesn't quite excite people as much. It seems. Uh, you know, a certain subset of of 
of enthusiasts and engineers. But it's it's critical. It's really important. So we're trying to trying to follow big transmission stories like this. So thank you a lot for for pulling this in. And it is exciting. I mean, this is um, hopefully the kind of thing we're going to see uh, in a quarter after quarter for the next several years. Yeah, it's it's also uh, should be helpful in facilitating the development of offshore wind on the uh, on the American Atlantic coast uh, because again there even though uh, I think offshore uh, wind capacity factors can be in the 40% you know maybe even above uh, it is always good to have that little extra buffer in terms of uh, complementing that if it happens to be a you know kind of a sunny day in the middle of summer when the the largest electric grid loads occur you just want to have that bit of a backup where they can open the floodgates you know literally open the floodgates on the dams in Quebec or elsewhere to just supplement and round things out and it even works uh, beneficially for Hydro-Quebec as well because the more uh, cheap wind energy you can put on the grid basically the more they can save the water in those reservoirs for higher higher cost higher price moments so it really is a win-win all around you know, except for uh, perhaps the, the coal lobby or the, the natural gas lobby. And even then, there are so many jobs being created, created in renewables. I'm absolutely certain that, uh, you know, virtually all, if not all of those skill sets can be put to effective and environmentally positive use. Yeah, those. I mean, it's sort of sad how long we've been writing about the offshore wind potential in the United States or North North America. But I mean, it's, it's tremendous. I mean, it's like we could power much of the United States with electricity from offshore wind. Uh, we we still have to get through some roadblocks to get it even going at all. But but once it gets going and costs come down for offshore wind, it's going to be a really attractive option, in my opinion. I mean, not that many people live off in the Atlantic, so. You know, it's going to be really important to to bring that onto the coast, of course. But then, once it's onto the coast, to to spread it out as far as it can uh, can help people, which is really far from, from if you just look at you know potential. Kyle, do you want to close us out? It's funny that you had mentioned the uh, the offshore wind. That was one of the points I wanted to touch on for this topic. Uh, the first U.S. offshore wind facility is actually under construction three miles off Rhode Island. And it's actually just five, six megawatt turbines uh, that are supposed to start up this year, but uh, which is actually a pretty small, really small uh, insulation compared to what we see in other areas of onshore U.S. Uh, for wind generation. Uh, but I think this is just, uh, as we talked, it's a, it's a great regional move. It's going to add some awesome flexibility and specifically the renewable generation component of it that it's, it's hydro-based is going to be awesome in the future. Really looking forward to see uh, how this evolves. And I think Along those lines, uh, they said it really planted a seed for the company that's building this. It's a really good foot in the door for them to expand further. So really, really exciting uh, evolution in in storage and uh, renewables. So I think that about closes us out for the week. Thanks for joining us this week on our our podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as on EV Obsession and Clean Technica. Subscribe to us on either of those channels and come back next week for your electric fix. Thank you.